Good morning, good morning, good morning. We want to thank God for you on today. And good morning to our podcast listening audience for Saturday, March 27th, A.D. 2021. Welcome to our podcast entitled Crossroads, where our symbols are the interstate markings of Interstate 40 traveling east and west and the interstate markings of Interstate 55, which travels north and south. It is here where north and south meet east and west, where coming together is the epicenter and the center point. It is where our journey commences, the crossroads. It is where we discuss contemporary topics of interest with leading men and women in business and in industry, politics and government, public safety and health and wellness, where we look at what is happening in our neighborhoods and with community development and revitalization. It is where we discuss issues relating to education and the educational system, along with religion and criminal justice reform and the criminal justice system and the law. These and other issues are of major concern and are discussed and analyzed because they affect us uh, so much as individuals, as groups, and as a nation. During the month of February, we spotlighted Black History Month, and this is another installment of their great series as we extend it into March. Our theme, the Black Experience, Africa to America. Our special thanks is being given this morning to our producer, Dr. Bruce Smith, co-owner of BBS, along with his wife, Dr. Victoria Smith. And without them, this podcast would not be possible. We want to thank you, Dr. Smith. We want to thank you, Dr. Victoria. And I also want to thank the podcast listening audience for your tuning in. And you can always inbox us with your questions, your comments, and your concerns. And if you like this podcast, hit the follow button if you don't mind. This nation is being bombarded with so many issues, so many problems. And all that we see today, uh, so many of us are confronted with these things on a daily basis. We have seen assaults. We have seen an impeachment. Uh, We've seen uh, people uh, being uh, left uh, dead in the Capitol. We have seen the destruction of property. We're dealing with crisis related to the COVID virus. We're dealing with uh, the distribution. uh, And we're dealing with the continued death from the virus. As we look at our nation, we are bombarded uh, with homicides of record proportions and We see here uh, that mass murders, uh, mass homicides, 
deranged killers uh, are popping up all over this nation, taking the lives of innocent people. And this is something in America that we must deal with, and we must deal with it face to face. We see that our young people are dying. If they're not dying from homicide, they're dying from suicide. The lives of young people are being lost at a record pace. Our schools and administrators are forced uh, with the threat of loss of funds if students don't return to live classes. And many of the teacher unions are adamantly opposed to staff, teachers and administrators, along with children, coming back into classrooms unless they are absolutely safe. In the meantime, they're dealing with poor academic achievement and also sanctions against the school systems if they don't come into compliance. This pandemic is affecting businesses and hospitals and employment and jobs. It's affecting government. It's affecting every segment of life, especially in the healthcare industry. And so the question was asked by the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. when he said, where do we go from here? I want to thank you this morning for tuning us in. We do have a guest on today. I would like to introduce him, if I may. He is an inspirational speaker and an author. He specializes in employee engagement and communication. He is the youngest of 17 born and raised in North Alabama. He was birthed during the 60s, and he was a young man when the late uh, Dr. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee. His father was a sharecropper, and his mother worked on the farm as a maid for white households. Because of his parents' his sacrifices, he became the first college graduate and first African-American U.S. congressional candidate to represent the 5th District of Alabama in 2011. As a dynamic and engaging Toastmaster Toastmasters International Speaker, 2020, uh, he often blends his personal tragedy of the death of his son with a rich African-American background to deliver personal, powerful, and inspirational messages. I want to present this now and introduce to others our guest on this morning, Dr. Charles L. Holly. Good morning to you. Good morning, Dr. Adams. Can you hear me? I certainly can hear you loud and clear all the way from Alabama. <laughs> Wonderful. You, before we start, I, I certainly want to uh, issue 
uh, condolences uh, to those uh, families uh, who lost loved ones down in Shelby County, Alabama. And uh, due to the recent uh, tornado uh, that devastated uh, that region. And the reason I'm saying that is because we share a commonality because we ourselves live in Shelby County, Tennessee. And as a result, we can identify with Shelby County, Alabama. Absolutely. And thank you so very much for that, Dr. Adams. We, like you said, we all are going through a whole lot of things and we have been hit tremendously here in the state of Alabama, as have others throughout our country and in our region. And as, as you also said, there are so many things facing us today and we're just in the third month of 2021. And yet so many devastating things have occurred from COVID to January the 6th to uh, voting rights to you know, all kinds of things. And so I just know, I just look forward to our conversation that we're going to have today, sir. Thank you so much, very much for having me. Well, I know that you are uh, well-versed um, in race relations and communications and the lack thereof. And I was reading uh, one of your books entitled Black and White, Healing Racial Divide. Uh, and as I look through those chapters, uh, I would love for you to uh, talk to us about some of those, as well as to delve into uh, the present mindset of what is going on in America now. Uh, we have seen certainly uh, there's always been an assault uh, on our people of color uh, ever since uh, uh, we arrived here, uh, especially uh, marketing uh, the date of 1619 through uh, 2019 and 2021, over 400 years. And so we understand uh, that there has been quite a bit of oppression of our people. But we have seen lately, uh, there has been many, many attacks on people uh, whom we call people of the brown color, who are mostly of Asian American descent. And there has been quite a, a few incidents of, of racial profiling uh, through uh, mass killings and murders, uh, assaults, uh, and, and different things as it relates to violence uh, against um, Asian Americans as well. And I know that in World War II, uh, the pretext was uh, when uh, America went to war with Japan and many Japanese Americans was, were interred uh, uh, in certain camps uh, in America. Uh, we understand that history as well, but now, uh, if you don't mind, uh, somewhere in your dissertation today, as we discuss uh, your book, uh, chapter one, Supremacy, Racism and Bias, chapter two, Systemic Racism, chapter three, Racial Communication, chapter four, Racial Healing, Chapter 5, 
Racial Unity, Chapter 6, White and Black Challenge, Chapter 7, The Bible and Racism, and Chapter 8, The Assimilation Mindset. And if somewhere in these chapters that you can uh, give us a historical uh, background uh, into each of these subjects that you cover, uh, as well as bring us up to a contemporary knowledge of what is going on in America today, even with our government, uh, as well as uh, citizens uh, that are in this country. Could you do uh, that for us this morning? Absolutely, sir. Absolutely. I will uh, say a few comments and then I'll uh, just kind of step back and let you wade in because I, I know that people online want to also hear your take as, as well. But let, let, let me just, just open up uh, the book. I actually open up with a true story of the near death of my then uh, seven, six or seven-year-old daughter. And at that, at that time, she had gotten something lodged in her throat and she could she could not breathe and as we were my wife and i were struggling to try to dislodge that little marvel from her throat the thing that kept going through my mind was she can't breathe she can't breathe she can't breathe and it of course terrified us we finally got to the point where it was dislodged and and she finally caught caught her breath but that incident was returned to my mind when I saw the images of George Floyd on TV. And I think most of us know what happened then. The police officer knelt on his neck for, well, for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And while he kept repeating, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And so I take that incident and I, I match it to the George Floyd incident. And then I go back into history, you know, as you said, from the transatlantic slave trade to pre-Civil War to post-construction and all the way up to today. So this, this country has, has, has had a real problem with white supremacy and racial issues for well over 400 years, Dr. Adams, and I know that you know that. We have had tremendous issues with that ever since the founding of our, of our country. And so I, I at the beginning of, of that book, in the chapter where I talked about racism, I point out the differences between bias, racism, and supremacy, because there are differences. Everyone who may have a, a racial bias is not a racist, in other words. So first of all, let's talk about what is bias. Bias is something that we all have, black and white alike. Everybody has it. Everyone who is a human being has bias. And what bias is, it is certain learned. These are learned traits that we learn through a variety of methods, whether it's someone teaches us or we observe it or we read it or learn about it. But these biases are racial things that may not be true about other races. And so we all have racial bias. And sometimes we may make statements out of those biases, but those biases don't make us racist. Okay, it just simply means that we have something in our minds that we have learned or we believe, 
that is not true. And it's usually something negative about another race. So that's racial bias. And we are all there, black people, white people, brown people, you know, we're all there. We're all on that level. We all have bias. Now, the next level is racist or racism. Now, this level is a person who believes that the races should be separated. And I know people who believe that way. In fact, I know black and white people who believe that races should be separate, that there should be no interracial relationships, no interracial marriages, that, that races should not mix when it comes to learning, social society. So, so this person who thinks like that is a person who is a racist, okay? And that person who, 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 who is a racist also has bias as well, but their biases run just a little bit deeper. And that person believes that truly all races should remain separate. And like I said, I know black and white people who have that belief. Now, the third level is supremacy. This person believes that their race is supreme, that their race should rule, should reign, should have all of the privileges, should make all of the decisions. That's white supremacists. Now, not all races are white supremacists. Okay? Mm-hmm. And in fact, I even know a few black supremacists. And I do. You know, mm-hmm. they also believe that people in the black race is superior and that race should rule and reign. So it's not just white supremacy. There is also among us black supremacy. Okay? And so we shouldn't yeah. trade yeah. one for another. So we have to just call it like it is. So when we look at bias, like I said, all of us have that, but that doesn't make us racist. It just means that we need to learn better and correct our thinking and our opinion. The number, the second level is race or racism, a person who believes that races should be separated. By the way, that's not biblical. So if I am a Christian, I should not believe in that because that's not biblical. And then the third level is supremacy, a person who believes that their race is supreme, that they, that they rule, that they reign, that they are above everyone else. And that's not biblical either. So, Doctor, I'm going to just pause here and, and, and get your input on that. All right. I uh, certainly thank you for uh, giving us uh, a working definition of these terms. Uh, certainly, uh, all of us do have biases, uh, and even when it relates to what we wear, uh, what we eat, uh, and where we live, and you're so right. Uh, and I, one of the things that, I don't know if it was uh, Dick Gregory, uh, another author said, it's okay uh, for, your, uh, for you to have your prejudice and your biases, uh, but don't uh, perpetrate them upon me uh, because then you are infringing upon my right. And so uh, all of us in America uh, have been told that we have the right uh, uh, to life, liberty, and the pursuit um, of happiness. And so I thank you so very much for uh, bringing out the differences uh, to us on this morning for us to understand uh, that it's okay, it's okay uh, to have our biases, uh, but they should not extend so far to infringe 
upon the rights of others, if that's what I'm hearing you say. Yes, absolutely, Doctor, absolutely. And, and, and all of these things, bias, racism, and supremacy, all lead to discrimination, uh, attacks, violence, uh, injustice. And so there are some levels that we all need to deal with and, and you know, recognize that we have and work to come out from under them. So we as a human race have an issue. So it's not. So what I'm what I'm actually saying is, is is this is this is not just a white thing. This is not just a white thing. This is about all of us. All of us really need to do some some deep soul checking. Outstanding. Uh, there is a topic, uh, and I want you to, uh, if we could put those two together, uh, systemic racism and racial communication. Uh, in your book. Could you speak on systemic racism and racial communication, if you don't mind? Absolutely, absolutely. What we see, when we say systemic racism, what we're talking about is systems that have been woven together with the express purpose of denying or oppressing a certain race of people. It is a system. It is something that is put in place and often is lawful, but it is aimed at keeping certain people from achieving certain things. When we, at, at, its, at its simplest, we can go back to pre-Civil War and we can see the system that was put in place in order to bring black people from Africa, the, the transatlantic slave trade, there was a system that was put in place in order to gather people from Africa, bring them down south, drop them off in South America and in North America, and then take them to their various locations, whether it was slave plantations or even further up north. There was an elaborate system put in place, and there were people operating in conjunction with one another to ensure that this system functioned and that it worked. And it did function well. Millions and millions of black people were either sold, captured, stolen, brought from Africa, and brought over to the Americas. It was an elaborate system. But even after they left that slave ship and was brought up ashore, they entered into another system. And the system was a system of laws, a system of social laws, not, not just political laws, but a system of social laws and people operating together in order to ensure that those slaves remained slaves. It was an elaborate system. Sometimes it, it was written into law. Sometimes it was just a social thing to do. Again, it was a system. And even after that civil war came to an end and the North won, Okay, the attempt of the North to break down some of those systems, in other words, the attempt of, of the North to ensure that blacks were truly free and that they could participate freely in society and take advantage of those freedoms were still offset by Southern racial systems. The systems of peonage, uh, for example, 
which is a system where white police officers were hired by the hundreds, and they were hired for a specific purpose, to arrest black people on many trumped-up charges. What was the purpose? To get them off the streets and into okay, jails and prisons so that they could thereby then basically sell their labor out. Okay, mm-hmm. sell them, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so that was one of the crippling systems that really wreaked havoc on black people. You're talking about thousands of black men, black women, being taken away from their families. And what happens when that happens? The family is broken down. And many times from generation to generation, that such a crippling effect does not truly heal. And so when we say systemic racism, there are other systems in place, housing, food, education. And when you think about a black person trying to come from slavery and live in the American society while all these institutions have roadblocks. The educational institution had roadblocks. Law mm-hmm. enforcement had roadblocks. You know, government had roadblocks. Politics had roadblocks. Even society itself had roadblocks. Say that blacks cannot come here, cannot do this. And so all of these systems, some of them have been successfully broken down, but many of them still exist today. So that's what we mean when we, when we talk about systemic racism, that there are still systems in place today, today, even in 2021, that are still set up in order to keep people back. Outstanding uh, dissertation on that uh, idea of systemic racism, uh, still uh, the vestiges, and really not vestiges because uh, in some areas, uh, we're still seeing even overt signs um, of racism. Uh, when we see certain uh, ethnic groups are being targeted now. Uh, and I, I wanted to ask you uh, about what is going on with the attacks on um, Asian Americans and what does that stem from, since we're talking about systemic racism? And uh, why is it so prevalent uh, in this uh, 21st century? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Doc. So I think you started out talking about it. You mentioned the pandemic, the COVID pandemic that we're going through and been going through now for uh, close to a year. Uh, there is a uh, untruth that has been told and that has been circulated and unfortunately believed by many that this virus began in a Chinese lab that has not been proven, uh, but yet that has been told, that has been shared, that has been said on cable TV, and many people unfortunately believe it. And that is part of the reason why we see our Asian brothers and sisters under attack. It is the, the classic, I'm going through something bad, who do I blame? You know? And mm-hmm. so that, that has happened not only with Chinese in America, but it's happened with many, many ethnic groups in America. Uh, blacks, Hispanics, uh, you know, and others. So 
it is it, it is one of those classic things by which when people go through a, a hard time, they often reach out to try and figure out who is it that I blame because they mm-hmm. have so much mm-hmm. anger and so much hatred and so much fear and they're, that they're looking to take it out on someone. And un- unfortunately, today, many have believed that lie that somehow the Chinese are to are to blame for this, and they look at our Chinese citizens, brothers and sisters, and they take it out on them because they, in their minds, are thinking, "We would not have gone through all of this if it weren't for you." You see, and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. now we have people taking out their anger, their fear, and their frustration on our Asian brothers and sisters. And one of the things that I talk about in my, in my book is that we as black people, because we know what it's like to be attacked, <laughs> we, you know, we know what it's like to be picked out and picked on. We know what it is like. And so we especially should step up to the plate and mm-hmm. support our Asian brothers and sisters and speak up for them, speak out for them, uh, march with them. Uh, you know, cover them because we as a black race know what it's like. Exactly. I I certainly appreciate you stepping to the plate and saying that publicly uh, because when we as a people uh, we're being really, really oppressed uh, especially uh, during the 50s and 60s uh, with the advent of uh, resistance uh, through uh, protests uh, and marches, sit-ins, uh, stand-ins, and and all, uh, there were others who did stand with us and stand by us. And you are so right. Uh, we also uh, have to do the same thing in return uh, to have a solid front, show solidarity, uh, if I could say so, in letting. Uh, people know, letting uh, those who are perpetrating violence uh, against people of color to say we are not going to allow you uh, the opportunity uh, to separate and to divide, but we're going to stand united against this because uh, it is a an affront to all humanity to uh, take out violence and perpetrate violence against people simply because of their ethnicity. I also uh, believe, Dr. Holly, uh, that our uh, government as well must take the forefront uh, because every ethnic group that has come to America has Uh, achieved and they have contributed in so many ways uh, to the economics, to the politics, to business and and industry, and certainly uh, to the advancement of technology and other inventions that we are uh, so blessed to have in this country. And so to stifle a group Uh, is to take away the progress of their creativity. 
The other thing is that I saw on uh, one commercial, wasn't a commercial, but it was a newscast where our former president uh, was uh, more or less putting down uh, the Asian Americans uh, when he called uh, some virus a bacteria a germ he called it Kung Flu. Right. And right. Uh, that is so despicable to come from the head of the state of a nation that's supposed to pride itself in human rights and civil rights advocacy. And I believe that many people take their cues from their leader. And as the, the leader goes, so goes a group who are looking for a reason to put down people. And so that same government uh, that is now has changed uh, leadership has to come back and say, listen, we are going to do all we can in our power to make sure that nobody no ethnicity, no ethnic group, uh, no person is uh, allowed uh, to have their freedom trampled upon by a small minority. And one of the things that we have to understand is that the, the wheel that doesn't get any grease makes the loudest noise. And that's usually... Uh, one wheel, but the other three are running smoothly. And so if we allow the minority to dictate to the majority, then it gives the impression that the majority are in consent uh, with what is going on. And so mm -hmm. I, I believe that we in all segments, as you said, We've got to speak out. We've got to be in solidarity with one another. And where there is an affront to one, it certainly is an affront to all. And so Dr. Martin Luther King's question was, where do we go from here? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if you would address that, uh, where do we go? Absolutely, Dr. Absolutely. I, I am a firm believer in Dr. Adams, and I know that you are too, is that you, you can't really know where you're going unless you understand where you come from and where you've mm -hmm. been. Mm -hmm. That's why it's so important for us to have a firm grasp on history, because as we say all the time, history often repeats itself. So let, 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 let me share just a bit of history, and then I'll, I'll talk about where I think we're headed as a nation. So just briefly, in this, in this country, there have been basically two uh, forms of governance, okay? One form is, is what we would call democratic republic, democratic republic. So let me, let, mm -hmm. let me talk, about that. Mm -hmm. talk about that just for a second. When this nation began to be colonized, there was the southern half and the northern half. And the northern and the southern had different ideologies on how to govern, 
how to, you know, govern. And so the, the North, people in the North pretty much believe in something that we call true democracy. And that is that all people, rich, middle class and poor, are the same and that they have one voice and therefore should have one vote. They believed in people having representatives, but they believed that the representatives should get their power from the people. Okay, so, the, so they believed in the North then in something that we would call democratic republic. That means representatives, they get their power from democracy. That means everybody gets a vote. Nobody is, is worth any more than anybody else is. Okay. So that was the North. Now let's talk about the South because the South saw things a little bit different. The South believed in something that was called the aristocratic republic. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the aristocratic republic was representatives who made decisions on behalf of the middle class and the poor. They did not consult with the middle class or the poor. They just made decisions on their behalf. The aristocrats believed in something that we would call a societal status. In other words, they believed that those who had more wealth, who had more property, and who had a standing in society were worth more than people of middle class and poor people. So therefore, they did not believe that middle class and poor people should have equal say-so. They did not believe that they should have equal rights. They did not believe that they should have equal power in the governing systems. They believed in a society that was built on class, race and class. So these Southerners, aristocratic Republicans, believe, well, Republic, believed in white supremacy. They believed that, you know, white people were supreme. And they also believe that white people who did not have power or social standing should not have the same amount of political clout. Okay, so they believe that their representatives should make the decisions and not so much in everybody voting. So so as you can see, the North then had to come together with the South in order to form our government. And that's where we get a little bit of both in our government. That's why our government is a republic, a democratic republic. So every now and then with, with these elections that you see, depending on who's in power and who's in charge, you see that you see some people with a northern mentality that everybody ought to have a vote. Everybody's the same. Nobody's bigger than anybody else regardless of what. And then you also see, according to depending on who's elected in, people who also believe the aristocratic theology that the rich rule, the powerful, the well-to-be, they are the ones to make the decisions. And not so much as everybody should be voting, but the rich, the powerful, the wealthy, the white. That's the, the aristocratic republic ideology. And that ideology still exists today. That's why you see so much heartache and pain in America today. It's the classic North versus South. That's why you see what you see when we talk about these voter suppression laws. Where are they coming from? They're coming mm -hmm. from the group of people 
who believe in the aristocratic republic theology, which says the rich should rule, the white should rule, and everybody ought not have a vote. So that's why you see these voter suppression laws, these restrictions on mail-in ballots and restrictions on early voting, you know, and, and it's, it's the classic Jim Crow poll tax, you know, poll question, harassment attacks, is that these people do not believe in what most Americans believe in, which is that most Americans have a northern point of view, which is all people are the same and that everyone should have a vote. Okay, so you yeah. see that classic tug of war take taking place. So that's why we see what we see. And so we still have people with that wrong Southern aristocratic mentality because most of the problems that we see are coming from Southern states, although it is spread out right now. But most of the problems that we see concerning voter suppression laws are coming from where? The South. And it's, and it's the, the same old thing that we've been dealing with for almost 400 years. And, Doc, it is a hard thing. It boils mm -hmm. down to a, a heart thing. It's not enough for us to have a Bible in our hand. We have to have the Bible in our heart. We must have it there. You know. Thank you, and, sir. And thank, so, you. thank you. Wow. Mm -hmm. That is so profound. Uh, I don't want to uh, stop your th uh, tra train of thought, but I do want to let our listening audience know that we are interviewing Dr. Professor Charles L. Holly. Huntsville, Alabama, who is a minister, an inspirational speaker, and an author who has uh, published a book entitled Black and White, Healing Racial Divide. And I thank you so very much uh, for listening in, uh, Ms. Mac Ray. Uh, thank you so very much. Uh, there are some questions that have been posed. Um, one question asked, is there anything we can do to change the mindset of people? And another one was, what can the government do to make change when they are a part of the problem? <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome question. Um, let, let me tackle that, that second one first. What can the government do? a positive change when it is often a part of the problem. And that is so, so true. Let us remember what the government is. Now, the government is not just some stale institution somewhere. The government represents the mindsets and the wills of the people, right? Because the laws originate, of, originate from people and they are put in place by our government representatives. So what, what our government should do is really talk more to the people, which is what representatives were meant to do. But unfortunately, that's not happening nowadays. Everything is, is, is party based and everything is so divided that it's either left or right. And our rep and some of our rep reps are not really listening to what their people that they represent are saying. So we, we have to we as voters can actually have a huge effect on it. When we talk to our representatives and not just ask, but demand that our representatives talk to us, then they'll become more responsive to us 
right now they're more responsive to their parties. Okay, so that's so that's one one thing. But let me ask you, answer that that second question as well. What can we do? Like I said, it is a hard thing, and it is a spiritual thing. The government can pass all the laws that it can pass, but people will always find a way around laws. They have done it ever since the formation of this country. They have found their ways around the 1965 Voting Rights Act. You know, so the ultimate answer is not governmental laws. The ultimate answer is society at large and who has influence in that society. And influence has to come from the church. This is why I say it's a spiritual thing. It's a hard thing. And if people in the church band together, regardless of what party we call ourselves of, we have to tell the truth that when any politician lies, cheats, steals, or does anything that we know is immoral, we have to call it out. And we can't stand with them or hold our head down and be quiet. We can't become people of party. We have to become people who are Christians. We can't have the mindset of politicians. We have to have the mindset of Christ. The Bible says, for you have the mind of Christ. And when the church unites and stands up and calls people out for what they're doing and what they're saying, then people in these parties will straighten up. So it's all resting and incumbent upon us. You and I, as fellow believers in faith, we must step up and step out. Let me ask you this question as well. Uh, what role do you think uh, many of our mega church televangelists, such as the Joel Osteens and the T.D. Jakes and uh, the Pat Robinsons and Joyce Myers and Paula White, and, and, and others who have the mega TV ministries, what part, if any, should they be playing in trying to bring about more uh, racial reconciliation uh, between uh, the ethnic groups and racial groups in America, if any? Or should they just continue excellent, to, excellent to do excellent what they're question. doing and, and, uh, and just say, well, the law will make a way somehow? <laughs> no, sir. No, sir. Excellent question, Dr. Allen. Excellent question. I go into the book in, in, in quite detail about the history of the church and how the church was, in fact, responsible for the transatlantic slave trade and how it upheld racism and how it supported systemic racism and how on many fronts it still does today, including by some, by some of the very people that you just mentioned today. And wow. this is, see, um, let me, let me, let me kind of break this down two ways. And I, and I'm not saying anything negative. I don't want, I don't want to do that, doctor. I, I, I just want to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. um, in the conservative circle, because I've actually been there. In the conservative circle, conservative Christian circle, it is often taught that systemic racism is not real. And many teachers, preachers uh, of the gospel, some of them mega, also teach that, that, that racism was a thing of the past, that systemic racism is not real today, that there are isolated incidents, they believe, 
but it's still not systemic. And some of them even teach that racism was solved by the Civil War, which is not true. So there is, there is a messaging problem that is going out to many of our conservative Christian brothers and sisters that is not based on truth. And unfortunately, many of them believe that. Thus, they do not address racism, not in their church. They don't address it in their teaching. They don't address it in their preaching. They may mention it here and there, but they don't really do any serious work toward racial reconciliation because they just don't believe that there is a serious racial problem. Mm -hmm. They just don't believe it. Okay. So, but there are others who have, who have woken up and they are silent the alarm and I know some of them and they are beginning to teach and talk about racism like mm -hmm. it truly is right now, like it is still the problem that it is. And so they have a tremendous role, Doc, to play in it. They have a tremendous role because they have a tremendous mega microphone. They have a huge following. And if they stand up and say, listen, racism is wrong, is evil, and it's been a problem with this country for a long, long time, let's take the Bible and let's study and let's see what God will have has to say about racism. That's what I do in my book. And that's, that's why so many people who read the book, that's the section that they comment on the most. They say, I love the passage, the chapter mm -hmm. that you dealt with that says the Bible and racism, because this thing is going to be solved by the church. It's not going to be solved by the world. This issue is going to be tackled by the church if the church is willing to accept the truth and take those microphones and those platforms and deal with the problem of racism once and for all. Yes, sir. Thank you so very much for expounding on that. Uh, there uh, was another uh, comment, uh, a couple of comments. Uh, I said that a lot of our representatives are afraid to, to go against the loudest people um, then it said that the church is not speaking out. They are fragmented and going in different directions. And then another comment was that we talk about the position of the church, but a lot of the people are not Christians. And uh, certainly, uh, if, a, if our representatives are not speaking out uh, against them, uh, then obviously... We, we, we must feel like that there is some reason why they are not uh, because representatives represent the people and the, the will, uh, the voice of the people is supposed to be the will uh, of the representatives and that is to speak the will of, of the people. And we know that there are people who do have, uh, as you say, their biases that are in government, but mm -hmm. they have to understand it's not about them, it's about the people that they represent it, that they represent because they voted for them. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, yes, the church is fragmented and going in different directions, and that's because mm -hmm. uh, the, the theory of separation and divide and conquer has always been a strategic method of keeping people uh, from coming together. 
And if you can get people uh, to have different interests, uh, then that normally divides people along those interest lines. But there ought to be one central theme, regardless of what people or groups or churches or pastors or denominations uh, center upon individually. There ought to be that central theme of the of united we stand and divided we fall, and that we are no stronger than our weakest link. And mm -hmm. one of the things that uh, we have to understand, uh, and I read somewhere uh, a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, and I wish I could find it again. He talked about uh, what was going on in Nazi Germany. And he said that um, uh, when the trade unions uh, started speaking out against Nazism uh, and they suppressed the trade unions, I didn't say anything because I wasn't in the trade union. I'm trying to paraphrase this. And he said that when the uh, newspapers uh, spoke out against Nazism, because I wasn't a newspaper publisher, uh, I didn't get involved and I didn't say anything. He said, mm -hmm. and, and, and when uh, the, uh, and, and, and when business and industry uh, started speaking out <clears throat> against uh, Nazism, because I wasn't in business or industry, I was silent. Mm -hmm. And then finally, he got down to his, uh, his craft, which was as a writer. And he said, mm -hmm. when they suppressed the writers mm -hmm. and I spoke out, mm -hmm. I had nobody to come to my rescue. I was mm -hmm. all alone because everybody else had mm -hmm. been disseminated. And so... Mm -hmm. If, if we're not going to uh, speak together, we'll find ourselves being fragmented and disjointed. And the enemy can easily dismantle us uh, system by system, and we'll find ourselves standing alone. And we ask the question, where is everybody? Well, everybody has left, and we're left standing alone. And so right. I, I can see uh, that is a problem here in America because we often say, that's not my problem. Mm. Mm. When in America, every problem is everybody's problem because mm -hmm. we are supposed to be a United States of mm -hmm. America. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, Doc. Absolutely. A house divided against itself, Matthew 12, Jesus said, cannot stand. And that's what's happening in America. We still got that north-south mentality and it's growing even further and further apart to the point to where our Congress is, is close to dysfunctional right now. And, and in order for this administration to get certain things done, get certain things passed, especially on voting, they're going to have to do away with the filibuster. And, and it's, you know, it's just going to have to be done. 
because this country is coming further and further apart. But the church can change it. The church can change it. If the church just stand up and just tell the truth, you know, we ought not be divided on certain things. A lie is a lie. They ought not divide the church. When somebody tells a lie, everybody in the church ought to say, that's a lie, whether we're Democrat or Republicans or whatever. Okay. When people get attacked for no reason, that ought not divide the church. Everybody in the church ought, should be saying, that's wrong. You know, mm -hmm. but, but what's happening is we are retreating to our corners because we have become political instead of Christian. You know? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That is uh, so true. I'm going to see if we have any other comment before we get ready to close out this segment. Uh, you have been listening to Dr. C.L. Holly, Huntsville, Alabama, who is an author. He is a speaker. And he is a, a minister of the gospel. And we have been talking about for over 400 years how justice uh, and equality has eluded uh, the African-American. But now we also must include, as we see, what has been happening with other ethnic groups. And we know that what is going on at the border is not right. We know that it's inhumane to separate uh, parents from their children. We have experienced this. And as you said, Dr. Holly, we should be the ones who are crying the loudest because we understand what goes on when parents and children are separated from one another. Uh, we're having a problem now in trying to identify who our relatives are, because we have been separated, sold, bought, and split up. And we ought to be the ones who understand more fully what it means for the family unit to be separated, some to be brought in, and others to be deported. This is cruel and inhumane treatment against any people, and we as a race of people in America. We got to be like Popeye when he's been beat up and battered and bruised by Bluto and say, I, I didn't stand all I can stand and I can't stand no more. I take all I can take and I can't take no more. And we have to flex our collective muscles if it means that we can do what we want to do. When uh, president who was a uh, candidate, I said, listen, we've got two seats in Georgia. And if you want something, you got to vote for these two candidates. And Georgians flex their muscles. And those men were brought into office as senators. We have got to use the same political clout and say we are united against racism we are united against injustice. We are united against bigotry. We are united against violence. We are united for justice and equality and for the rights of people to live in a peaceful environment. And that in itself is more than what separates us. And so I want to say, uh, Dr. Holly, 
to you if you have any parting uh, remarks uh, at this time. Certainly, uh, we welcome you to do so. Thank you so very much, Dr. Adams, for having me on your show today. It has been a delight to share with you and to listen with you. And hopefully our audience has found pleasure in what we have shared today. Thank you so very, very much, sir. Those are my parting words. Thank you so much for having me. And I want to let you know that we enjoy you and this will not be your last time. We certainly enjoy your insight uh, into our subject. And may God bless you and may God keep you and your family. I want to say to our listening audience, this podcast is entitled Crossroads, where our symbols are the interstate markings of Interstate 40, traveling east and west, and interstate markings of Interstate 55, which travel north and south, which traverses our location. It is here where north and south meet east and west, where coming together is the epicenter and a center point. It is where our journey commences, and we've only just begun. Thank you so very much. May God bless each and every one of you, and have a great weekend. God bless you, Doc. See you next time.